Welcome to the Josh Bolton Show, where we dive into interesting and inspiring conversations. And now, your host, Josh Bolton. Hi, welcome to the podcast, everybody. Today, we have Brendan, a motivational and teaching coach on speech. See, I need his help today. I don't know what I'm doing. So here we go, Brendan. What's up? What's new with you? What's up, Josh? Great to be on, man. Nothing much, man. Just living life to the fullest, enjoying what I can. How about yourself? Doing pretty good. You know, corona permitting and all that, it's not much going on, so. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. true. I'm with you. Yeah, so um, you help your clients through YouTube and your coaching on speech. How does that work? Yeah, you got it, man. So I got a YouTube channel called Master Talk. And the reason why I started it was because the communication information that's available online for free is really bad. You hear advice like, oh, Josh, just like be yourself, man. Follow your dreams. And I was like, what are you supposed to do with this nonsense? So I started making videos in my mom's basement on communication. <laughs> and then over time, people started to ask me to coach them for money. And I was like, oh, this is like a business. <laughs> and then it turned into a business where I coach a lot of executives these days. But I think the focal point for me is how do we create resources where people who can't afford me can still take advantage of them and still master their communication skills anyways? And that's what I really uh, pride myself in. Awesome. So you touched on you were teaching executives how to talk. Um, any executives that you could name drop without getting in trouble? Uh, probably would get in trouble, but I'll okay. give you, I'll give you, I'll give you companies. I mean, Company uh, works, executives yeah. from like IBM, that's oh, okay. one. Uh, I usually lose track of all the companies people work for. <laughs> I <kinda> just <laughs> keep, um, I'm going to start coaching the people at Charity Water soon next year. Oh, which wow. Is a nonprofit. Yeah. That's going to be starting, uh, yeah, just a couple, you know, company companies like that. You know, the ones that you would think of. Like, uh, anyways, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm not a big fan of name dropping, but yeah. It's, <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Uh, yeah, I know with the big wigs like that, you don't necessarily want to drop their names because confidentiality and all that. I, I can talk more into that, though, because I think that'll be interesting to the group. Yeah, what, totally. What I found is, is like, you know, I found fascinating about coaching executives because I coach kids, too mostly the executives as kids. And the reason why they're not very public about it is because most people in the company don't want to tell them that they're bad communicators. So let's say you're, you're an executive at a company, right? Let's say you're actually better. Let's say the CEO of the company okay. and you're a terrible communicator. No one's actually going to tell you that in the company. Yeah, you've got all job the yes Right, exactly. And, or yes, ma'am, whatever the case may right. be. Whereas somebody like me, I, since I'm external, I could just go, well, you suck. Right? So, so what, what that person wants is they want the result so that people go, wow, he's actually gotten really good. I don't know what happened. But, but that's, that's kind of like the transformation they're looking for. So a lot of them usually aren't super public. I mean, it's not like I'll get in like, big trouble or anything, but it's just uh, they, they prefer it that way for that reason. So that's, that's what's interesting to me. Right. So the communication for them and their kids, is this more just in general? Like small talk or actually explaining like a strategic idea that where it's like i want our business to be here and but we're stuck at like step one kind of thing how do who do we need to talk to kind of thing 
Oh, no, I make them, like, TED Talk-level presentations. Oh, nice. Yeah, so literally what happens in these things, they're just not 20 minutes long. They're five minutes long. As I get seven-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 15-year-olds, I put them all in the class, and then I coach them on how to present better than their parents so that their parents do better in the coaching sessions. <laughs> like, I make them, like, really good. And, and that's and the reason I do that, by the way, Josh, is not really for money because you, you don't really make a lot from coaching kids. It's mostly to, to understand their psychology. So let's say, for example, seven-year-old, you, you kind of see where they're at in the education system and you see where their fear of public speaking starts. And it's those insights that actually make my YouTube videos that are free for the world much better. So that's why, because it gives you some insights as to why I coach those kids. Right. I, I can definitely vouch for the um, uh, public school making me scared of public speaking. Uh because I got ridiculed all the time when I was trying to present things because I would stammer and I wouldn't know what to do. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and that's normal, by the way. That's what I always tell people. That, that's how it's, how it's set up because all of the presentations we give are mandatory. We don't wake up one morning and say, hey, Josh, you want to get breakfast and like present all day? Nobody says yeah. that. Right? <laughs> it's very rare. Yeah, it's like me and four other guys in my country, literally. <laughs> that's it. So, so that's the thing, man, is when we're always presenting topics we don't get to pick, think Renaissance and history, to, to students who don't want to listen to us, to teachers who, who you know, for some reason, or not really for some reason, just the reality of their jobs, don't have time to coach the students. They got like 60 presentations to go through. What else can we expect? Yeah. Of course, of course, we're going to see public speaking as a chore. We're going to look at it like doing the dishes or mowing the lawn. But if we start to change our perception of communication from this thing that we're scared of to a way to make a difference, a way to make a change, that's when we're going to start to see communication as a vehicle for progress. So I want to touch on what you just said, um, communication and change. So actually, I low-key started this podcast selfishly so I could be a better talker. Like I said, I, I do not know how to talk to people. I felt like a robot at times. It's like, hello, I am Josh. Um, so how would someone uh, capitalizing on communications and um, almost like making it an asset to them? Yeah, of course, man. Especially in the context of the, the example you gave. How do we sound less robotic in the conversations that we, we bring about? For me, it's always feedback from people who aren't afraid to be honest with you. So I'll give you an example with me. When I used to, when I started my speaking career and everything that I did, I, I have a very aggressive demeanor. So whenever I speak, Josh, I generally sound like this. So as you can imagine, that sounds very aggressive. So a lot of my friends were like, dude, you, you sound way too aggressive. You need to tone down. You need to sound a bit more calmer. So I kept working on my voice until it sounded like honey, right? This is mm -hmm. not something I was born with. It's something I practiced over time. And I think anyone can do that if they have friends in their peer group who just goes, yeah, you sound like X. I, I shouldn't say what X is, but uh, <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? You sound, like, yeah, it's, you sound like this bad thing or you sound like this. You need to change your tone to sound more like this. You sound too aggressive. You need that feedback from your peer group, not people who are just going to say, oh yeah, Josh, don't worry about it. Just be yourself. No, that's nonsense. You need to Keep focusing on how you can make your voice better and how you can communicate your ideas in a way where people go, wow, I really want to pay attention to this person. Yes, um, that that is a huge one. So the paying attention part, especially with social media nowadays, how does someone stand out? Or is yeah. it, I would say, or do you not, is that not one of your specialties? No, no, I'm happy to comment on that. 
like with with the platform I've built with Master Talk, I, I think the way that you stand out, Josh, is by having a belief system and communicating that belief system. What do I mean by that? The people who are the most fascinating, the most influential figures of our society have strong opinions and aren't afraid to communicate those strong opinions. I think one person that embodies this the best is Seth Godin. So Seth Godin is a prolific marketer, has a top 10 blog in the world. If you literally type S-E-T-H, Seth, on Google, he's the first search result that pops up. It's literally insane. And what's fascinating about this is because of his success with the blog and what he's done, most of that success is driven through controversy. And by controversy, I mean beliefs that he has about the industry that most people don't. So in the early 2000s, he had this he coined the term permission marketing, which is this idea that we want permission from our customers to communicate with them rather than just spamming them all the time. And back then, marketers thought Seth was crazy. They're like, what are you talking about? We have to spam everybody and anybody. But the truth is, is that if you embody permission marketing, you're going to get a better, much better conversions over time. And he ended up being right. And he was just right about many of those things a lot over time. And that's what made him a thought leader. So if you're someone who wants to share ideas with the world, you need to start expressing those ideas regardless of how controversial they are as long as you believe in them and explain why. Okay. So that's you going to be one of those I've been alluding to, but I didn't want to say it. But with cancel culture trying to sound, silence people's voices, is it worth fearing that, the, the shaming and the public uh, flogging essentially? To express your voice to the full extent, fullest extent. Sorry, my brain goes fast. Yeah, that's a great point that you're mentioning, Josh. I think there's a balance, right, between the controversial things you believe versus what the culture believes, and what the impact of you saying that will impact the culture and their thinking of you. So, for example, if I said something like really wrong, right, that I don't want to say in case this gets recorded, uh, yeah, you know what obvious. I mean. Let's say I say something that's really like off. That's just like. Like half the population would go like, this is ridiculous. Then, yeah, I would get canceled immediately, right? Mm-hmm. But if it's something I believe in that's still controversial, and but that won't like cause like wildfires, I don't think I'll get canceled for those things as long as I'm not infringing on the freedoms of other people. That's the important thing. So I'll give an example of one of those truths. So I believe that the easiest way to solve the world's problems is to do just that, like focus on the easiest ones first. Whereas most people in society... They use emotion to make choices about which problems to solve. So if there's a wildfire in Australia, they're going to focus on that. And then when there's another event, they're going to focus on that. And then over time, they're just going to keep switching and not actually focusing on how to solve one specific problem. Because if we could just all figure out what that easiest problem is, and we all took ownership of those problems, we would have a less amount of problems. So that's an, an example of a strong opinion where I'm saying don't spend time on the wildfires in Australia spend, and don't spend time on any problem. Focus your attention on regardless of what's happening in the world. These are the easiest problems to solve. Let's knock them out at the, at, at the beginning. So there, there's different sides to this, but no one's going to cancel me for saying that. No, obvious. So that's an, so that's an example of a strong opinion. Yeah. Um, so speaking of like the wildfires and everyone distracted – so I've noticed recently, I used to teach martial arts. I used to help out at a local school with um, watching kids on the playground that kids are extremely distracted on their phones. They know how to text all the, the um, short words like LOL. I forgot what they're called, <laughs> but 
yeah, the, um, the abbreviation of it, but they can do that. They know how to operate YouTube, yet they can't talk to each other kind of thing. They don't know how. It's not one of the skills they've been taught. What do you think is just a problem we could solve with that? Sorry, there's a, the solving the problem that is that. Yeah, for sure. I think the first thing I would start with is by mentioning why social media is so good for us in some ways that most people don't talk about. Once again, strong opinions, right, Josh? Right. So, so I would say the first thing that people don't get about social is it's a tool. And if you know how to use the tool in the right way, you can actually take advantage of it. It's just unfortunate that most people don't use it in the right way. And here's how you use it in the right way. You use it to find the tribe. The tribe are the people that you get along with, the people who are positive, the people who move you forward and join community groups where you can get in touch with those people. And I've been fortunate enough to use social media in that way, and it's worked out really well. So I think the, the message I would have for people is to use social media as a tool to get to the people that you find the most interesting for the life and goals that you have so that you can engage with them online, but more importantly, in person. So I've used social media a lot to meet a lot of people in real life that had the same values as me and that went to the same events and just catch up with them and keep in touch. So if you know how to use it as a tool, then you can use it to win. And that's why I think the big solution for this is not to hate on social, but rather educate the population on how to use it better as a tool so they can see the benefits of it. I mean, there's I'm so grateful for social media. There's so many key relationships really deep friendships that I've met through Facebook groups that I never would have otherwise if Facebook didn't exist. So it's about using the tool that's going to exist regardless that we can't get rid of, but leveraging it in a way that makes us successful, not the companies. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the way everyone would, we try to demonize, like just make it a monster, but really within the monster, there's a, a brilliant tool to, use and not in a me like you said not in a mean way but exploit it to find your your group your horde like horde tribe exactly and once you find that tribe you'll you'll get such a satisfaction out of meeting them that you'll just spend less time on social media and spend more time talking to them right whether it translates to Corona permitting, if we can ever meet in person, hundred uh, percent, uh, just doing like a meet and greet, like, Hey guys, I'm going to be in Austin, Texas. I see there's a lot of, uh, downloads in like Texas area. Meet me there. We'll get a beer pizza on me kind of thing. And just meet your fans in person. That would, that's like, that's beyond gold. There's no value what you can give your customer for that. Absolutely. And now you're making me hungry too. So that works. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Nothing to apologize. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. But yeah, um, just uh, it's just one of those that we're trying to build a tribe and all that, and meeting a person. It, what one thing I've realized people don't get? They're like, oh, they watch like Casey Neistat. Pretty much everyone knows him. He, near the end, he was making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month off his vlogs, but everyone thinks that was then. It took him what, like seven years to get to that point? Oh, kind yeah. Of, and But no one wants to look at the seven years. No one wants to look at the backlog and the awkward filming and editing. They just want to look at the now. And I feel that's where communication is going. It's more instant gratification and not long form trying to understand a pro, like a, a topic. I am completely in agreement with you, especially when it comes to YouTube. You know, I'm probably year two into this. 
And people already think like, oh, wow, look at Brennan. He just knows how to speak on camera, but they don't spend two seconds to watch the first videos that I still have uploaded. Yeah. That are still there. So people see the journey. I mean, I literally started on my mom's couch that we didn't even buy. that We just picked off somewhere off the street and we had no budget, no lighting. And I just made videos and then I never even edited them. Then after a year, I took it more seriously. But yeah, we all got our own journeys. I think, I think it's important for people to understand not like this is what people say is like this is a quote I like to, to use is when people never never say wow always ask how yes or is it, never look at people and go wow you're so amazing like no that's a waste of time for all of us you're better off saying I acknowledge you for your success but how did you get there like look at people look at Kobe LeBron all those people and they go wow you're so amazing but they don't ask how they don't go like how many hoops is this guy shooting a like, day how many yeah, like how many? Yeah, what's he doing? Like, what's his tactics? And am I willing to do that? Right. And if I am willing to do that, can I still get the same result as him? Because there's still some talent component in it. And I think Russ is such a good example of that from the artist perspective. He has a great book called uh, "Get Out of Your Own Head." It's so good. It's like an hour and a half. The Audible. But anyways, okay. what he argues is like the guy was delusional. Like he he was like 15, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna make it in music," and like nobody believed him. His tracks was garbage, and then he made it at 23, and he blew up. Right, so so it's just everyone thought he was crazy except for him until it until it, it happened. So that's the thing you need to be you need to be focused on on what what do you want to commit a decade to your life to that that I think is a question people should ask themselves. And the same way, yeah, sure, I'm not famous with Master Talk or anything, but I'm pretty confident in ten years Master Talk could be something really really important for the culture that we're in. Absolutely. Speaking of the ten year thing. Um, so I do martial arts, um, and I recently got my black belt. But thank you. I'm trying to go for another one. I had goals, so I just got to keep going kind of thing. Uh, but everyone in my work, because I had to take a week off to get – I work night shifts, so I had to switch back to daytime sleeping. And um, they're like, oh, so it, what, was it like two years, and you paid them like $10,000 for your black belt? I'm like, no, no. I, I've done this for like 13 years kind of thing. Wow. It's, it's in my bones. I can't get rid of it now. And they're like, oh, that's too long. You could have just paid $10,000 and got your black belt. I'm like, no, that's, what's the fun then? That's just a waste of money. I'm with you, man. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a brown belt actually in Kenpo. So Nice. So I, yeah. I'm not nowhere near as, as passionate as you are, though. I stopped after five years. I was like, <laughs> I didn't even go for my black belt. I just said I'm done with this. Oh. But, uh, but it's great. But, but martial arts taught me a lot about discipline. And I'm so grateful for those years because it shaped me into the person I ended up becoming. Oh, absolutely. There's there's something knowing you can defend yourself in a very sketchy sketchy situation, and yet you might you never fully have to use it. It's just it's a comfort. It's like a safety blanket that no one sees except you. I'm with you, man. All right, I'm gonna try something new. So I'm gonna end it here, and I'm gonna chunk this podcast out. Well, it seems like I can do about two, but I'm just going to see the longer ones. Podcasts don't seem to be doing that well. So I just want to see if I do a long one, if I just chunk it out, will that perform better? So as always, thank you for downloading. Don't forget to listen, um, review on Apple, whatever, whatever your podcasting provider is. Uh, don't forget to hit me up on Twitter, J-R-B. O-L-T-O-N underdash again, that's J-R Bolton underdash. And look forward to hearing from you guys on everything. (laughs) 